Hey everyone, this is Edo Ninja, and you are now listening to the Storm Connect podcast, published by the Sigil Arts Network. I talk about gaming topics and animated series of my own interest, like Ruby, Final Fantasy, Persona 5 Royal, and so on forward. The goal I aim to accomplish on every episode is to provide insights on these subjects that are usually overlooked, to spread awareness, and learn more. I want to quickly apologize for the sudden inconvenience last week for the no-show on the podcast episode, so to make up for it, since this is another Ruby Volume 8 podcast episode... We will discuss the events of chapter two and three. So if you happen to be listening to this podcast for whatever A, B, and C reason and have not caught up to chapter two and basically chapter three, what's going to happen is that I'm going to talk about the events in order of chapter two and give the proper signal for when it's time for you to stop listening to this podcast until you watch chapter three. Other than that, you already know the procedure from here on out. So let's just dive right into this. So in chapter two, it starts out with Robin monologuing with the entire situation, even though like we already get like we already know like what happened. But I guess this is her way of coping or whatever, or just like trying to get her head straight. I don't know, but it's like we know. It also appears that she knows that Crow did not kill anyone or Clover at all. Uh, Jacques seems to be caught up with the situation at all, even though like he is still talking so much shit. Like, even for what's happened after for being behind bars, he is still talking all that good shit and still trying to play off as if, like, oh, yeah, like, I was just used. Like, I did this, but, like, I am not evil or anything. Like, dude, shut up. Like, you don't care. Stop with this gaslighting bullshit. The world of Remnants could be falling apart. Like, everything is now, like, finally burning. Not just Atlas, but everywhere, but he'll still find some way to make it about him. It's like, god damn, that's a character that really would not, like actually shut up for being part of the situation that he caused but you know there are actually people that are actually like that so i like how realistic they actually made Jacques pretty much for the entire show of ruby though but i I like it so far just annoying to deal with of course and they just happen to be grouped up with dr watts but what's really weird about this the fact that like there are no other prisoners there like are they located there for a very specific reason I i don't know i can't even tell of like why there weren't any other people around or whatever i don't know we'll just have to see of what happens next Eventually, Dr. Watts gets dragged out of the prison cell, even though, like, in reality, there's not actual any reason to interrogate him or to, like, you know, get him to cough up some answers or whatever. So I think we can all take a wild, great guess as to where this is leading to. But as to how well this is going to be executed into the in-lore of Ruby, we'll have to see from that, though. But... The one thing I could say that they're doing a good job of is the fact that, like, they're making the situation, like, very, like, so not only unsettling, but, like, there are many possibilities. It's really hard to tell what direction they're going to go to, but they're doing it in a way that is not exactly, like, oh, this is inconsistent. Like, oh, this is, like, pretty bad, like, in actual, like, writing-wise. Like, it's like, oh, we're really up in here guessing of what they're trying to do and such. And, of course, like, that, that gets answered eventually. So... I like what they're doing. It's like, ooh, like, who's, which party is going to have, like, the more advantage? Team Ruby, Team Atlas, or Team Salem? Now, I kind of want to talk about this part specifically because it looks like there might be some type of confusion here, which, you know, I mean, again, this is still up to anyone's interpretation. So we get some type of clear message of Crow's motivation for Ruby Volume 8. He wishes to kill the man that put them into the prison cells, which that could only mean two people, actually. So here's the thing, right? Like, recap to Volume 7 real quick. If everybody chilled the fuck out and Robin did not throw the first hit there, then this would have not happened. If Ironwood did not lose his shit and pretty much have Team Ruby to be arrested, this also would have not happened. 
But here they are anyways. Tyrion framed Crow for killing Clover, which, you know, it made the situation a lot worse when he's only being arrested just to, like, you know, be held captive, um, trying not to stop Ironwood's plans, but it made things a lot worse. So, Crow now has a serious grudge against Tyrion for that and to killing his friend that he has some huge emotional tie to, which, you know, in a way, I have some questions about it. It makes sense to a degree, but, hmm, I don't know. And I'm going to get into that eventually. For right now, we're talking about these, like, you know, as to who is being referred to here. So obviously it could be Tyrion that he wants to go after, but he already escaped. And we don't know, he doesn't probably know that he's still around Atlas. But then, he, at the end of Clover's final moments of Volume 7, he pretty much said that he is hoping and he's going to make sure that Ironwood takes the fall, meaning hopefully I think it's gonna cost him his life that Crow wants to go after. And you know what? I don't necessarily blame Crow because I'm also tired of Ironwood shit. Like, he's been tired of him since Volume 3, since they actually had first contact into the show like that. So, honestly, like, I think he just stopped playing the good boy act and was just like, you know what? No, I'm tired of his shit. He, my best friend was killed or whatever. It's time to get revenge. I'm tired of this. I want to go after this bitch, but first, I gotta kill off the Tin Man here. So it is possible that Curl probably wants to kill both of them, but as to who he has in priority at the moment, that is a mystery. Which, if you want my personal take on it, I think he's gonna go after Ironwood because, I mean, how the hell is he gonna go find Tyrion right now? Like, I don't think he knows that Salem is here and everything that's happening at Alice. I don't think he's aware of all the chaos that's happening outside. Or maybe that's exactly why he wants to break out of prison and... Well, go find him, I guess, and break through Salem's forces. But again, as to where this is going to go, I am very curious as to Crow's direction for Volume 8, for sure. He'll be accompanied by Robin Hill, and despite with Robin Hill's flaws here and there, I actually like her as a character. So I'm really curious as to where her direction goes off to, and I really am hoping she does not die in this volume. I can't have this. <laughs> so we'll see how this goes. To the next segment, we see Joanna take over the news for whatever reason. Well, we do know the reason, but it's just so funny how she walked into the news, man, and was just like, hey, give me that shit real quick. Thanks, bitch. <laughs> so she relays the message to Mantle that Ironwood has pretty much, like, abandoned everybody. So it's just like, oh, yeah, like, he already said what he can save and such. He won't uh, help out with the evacuations, even though he clearly can still, since Salem's forces has not moved in. So... Uh, she relays the message to have everyone uh, evacuate to the slums, which there are some people that got like the wrong impression out of this. It's like, you know, okay, like, look, I get it that like she didn't exactly like relay the message into the best way, but it's like, Iron is not helping you, but she is. So there's no time to really cater to everyone's like, oh yeah, like that was kind of offensive. Like, no, this is a matter of urgency. So it's like, move your ass if you want to stay alive. As we progress to the episode, after, like, Team Yang pretty much helps everybody and such, we see this old hag complaining the fact that she has to go down to the slums with these animals, as she describes it, even though, like, she just dismissed the fact in her head that Ironwood is not sending down more of his military forces to help you all escape to Atlas. No, he left all of you guys there to die. He doesn't give a flying fuck, and he doesn't plan to help out anytime soon or at all. So regardless, she still wants to be racist to the Faunus anyways, which is so, like, really, like, the end of the world is probably near, and you want to be racist now to the day, like, you die? Today could be the day that you die. Like, come on. 
But you know, shout out to Yang. Like she cancels racism. Like she's just like, oh yeah, like literally lady, like even though like you don't deserve being safe after for that comment, like we're still helping your bitch ass out of here. So shut up, go to the slums, like come on. But I mean, hey, like, you know, I love how she also brings up the point that even the faunas are helping the humans as well to save them to ensure that they stay alive. So it's just like, you know, I love how she was very inclusive about the fauna. So, you know, again, shout out to Yang. But goddamn, even though like Yang puts that old hag in her place, like we can hear her murmuring among with the crowd so silently as they're going to the slums. Like she's just like, oh my God, like I don't want to go to the slums and such with those animals. And like, damn, like you still being racist? You better be lucky that she's not willing to punch the shit out of you. Holy crap. With all this talk of division and everyone having a hard time cooperating with one another and racism, it eventually leads all to the moment of this chapter, Oscar. I really like of where they're taking the direction with Oscar because at first, like, I was kind of having mixed feelings with him because, like, literally he was just there because of Ospin, really. But it seems like he started to grow a little bit more from Volume 7. And with this uh, discussion with Ospin, it was really good. I love how angry he is that Ospin came back and now the inevitable path of those two souls becoming one has drawn much closer. With all of this happening, like, Oscar abandoned his old self and he's becoming more of the person that he always wanted to be for so long and now that's gonna be taken away all because of, well, his destined fate with Ospin. While Ospin has been secretly back, it all really depends on what they're actually gonna do with him. I can't tell if he's actually gonna fuse with Oscar in this volume. I feel like he would, especially the fact that they're now at death's door to meeting Salem. While Oscar actually became much more of a character of this volume and the previous one, I somewhat hope that he doesn't become one of his lives just like that though. I would hope that he has his own unique self to where Oscar can be Oscar Pines, not Oscar merging with Ospin like that though but hey who knows we don't know of what direction with Ruby they're gonna take with Oscar and Ospin so I think like maybe I'll have my answer by the end of this volume if not well again the most I'm gonna be looking forward to is the encounter with Salem and Oscar slash Ospin. Putting team Yang aside we now go over to what's happening with team Ruby. Well Ruby's team I can't really say team Ruby. <laughs> They're accompanied by May Marigold, which I kind of want to insert this here real quick. I actually like her a lot. She might be my favorite among with the Happy Huntresses. Because mostly in last volume, she was mostly on guard. But for this, she just seems pretty relaxed and like, you know, she's sharp. And, you know, I, I really like how chill she actually is. Now this I really want to talk about. The moment with Penny and Ruby. I feel bad for my girl Penny here because she is having the realization of so many things that... Not many people are be able to understand, you know, like the one thing is the fact that she became the Winter Maiden, you know, and everybody fighting amongst with each other and Salem is literally right outside at Atlas. Like, you know, there's great risks and great burdens of being the Winter Maiden. And because that Ironwood is literally like not giving a shit about Mantle and such, like everything that Penny signed up for, it's not aligning as to how she viewed things. And, you know, she's with Team Ruby because it aligns with more of how she believes of how Atlas and Mantle should be protected. But the way of how I would, the way of what he said in the last volume, it definitely hurt her for sure. And, you know, 
Ruby, she's not exactly getting the idea of it. Like, you know, I, I get that she was trying to do her best to cheer her up in the moment because it's like, you know, they have to do more of action rather than just talking, though. But it's like, you know, it's not just about like, you know, oh, yeah, I was the antagonist and stuff like that. Like, you know, in a way, like, yes, he's acting like it, but. Ruby's some of Ruby's actions caused Ironwood to act in the way that he is right now and in a way it's actually justified but in retrospect of course he's just making things harder than it needs to be but you know you gotta show that you'll try to figure things out with her especially with the current like grave situation that you guys are in right now so not just about like oh yeah like you know like yeah you're the winter maiden and such and it's awesome like yeah don't get me wrong like it's awesome but also, like, the worst thing that you definitely do not want to be right now. I don't know. I just feel like, like, Ruby just kind of missed the big picture here. That Penny is just so torn as to the reasons of, like, how big this is, you know? Oh, yeah. I also like how easy it is to get to Atlas. Like, they just randomly put that in out of nowhere. But it also kind of makes sense due to the design of Atlas and Mantle. Speaking of getting to Atlas... Let's all appreciate Noir real quick for like literally like easing up the tension real quick with shooting up Weiss to the fucking tubes to get to Atlas. Oh my god, that shit was fucking funny. Never change, Nora. Please don't change. Literally, like, I, that's what I love about her is just the fact that she always finds a way to, like, swoop in her fucking comedic relief moments. I love it. But I do want to talk a little bit more about her later in this podcast episode, which I'll get to that, of course. I didn't think the tension would actually be really heavy between the two teams. I've noticed that whenever, like, the Happy Hunters is mentioned, like, oh, yeah, we were worried about, like, since, you know, you guys are doing this and you guys are doing that and you guys are not, like, all together and they're just like, yeah, <laughs> and, like, you know, they show some type of distaste towards to it. It's just like, oh, God, like, I kind of would feel awkward the fact that if, like, if they kind of show that type of remark towards to me or whatever, I'd be like, oh. Well, uh, I, I don't know what else to say. I didn't mean it like that, but all right. Now, proceeding forward to the episode, we get back to Yang's team. And we see there's someone that I really want to talk about real quick, and that's Lai Ren. I don't know what is going on with Ren as to why he's acting the way that he is, but I just don't like this look on him. I don't know why he's like so tense up. This is just so not like his character at all even from what happened in volume four and five it's just so out of character you know like i can't even draw a picture as to why he's acting the way that he is like i get that like everyone's frustrated about the whole relic situation salem's here everyone is like so fucked up and so torn up that like they're even fighting amongst with each other but like there's just something with Ren's energy. I don't know what it is, but his tension seems to be growing bigger each chapter that he's featured on. And I don't know how to feel about it. But here we are. They're still being consistent about it. And I'm really scared as to where this is going to go. Because again, what happened in volume four and five, it just, again, this just so backwards to me. It's like something regressed to the way that he is right now. There is more that I'm going to say about this later in this podcast episode. But again... We'll get to that again. Uh, so the last highlight for this chapter... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just have to, like, take a quick moment to, like, really say this. But in a way, this is kind of funny, especially to this Twitter video that I keep thinking about. So finally, as to how the chapter ends, Salem's Grim that she commanded to ambush Oscar the squeaky toy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, anyways, 
Um, yeah. So Oscar the Squeaky Toy gets ambushed by Salem's Grim in literally a few hits, which shows how low his aura was since he got shot from above. But anywho, um, I do want to point out of how creepy it was because uh, I noticed this, like, again, like, someone put this out on Twitter, but, like, you could actually see the Grim approaching. Like, you could see him, like, you know, he's, like, coming closer, closer to the screen where Oscar is at, but, like, it's so subtle we didn't notice it, and I only noticed that when someone pointed it out on Twitter. It's like, oh, my God, he's getting closer. Like, he already knew. Like, God damn. That was so creepy. That was some horror movie type shit. Oh, my God. Like, how did y'all get ambushed by a fucking Grim animal like that? That shit was so weird. But yeah, he literally planned for a successful ambush on the Oscar the Squeaky Toy. <laughs> it's just how the Grim Hound was beating the living crap out of Oscar, like as if he was the dog and Oscar was actually the Squeaky Toy. <laughs> oh God, I feel so sorry for Oscar. You know, the worst part about it is the fact that like, I can see myself in that situation because, like, I'm tiny as Oscar, so it's just like, oh god, I would hate to be him right now. But anywho, the shocking highlight of this chapter was that not only this Grim, as I mentioned earlier, it planned out for a successful ambush throughout the entire chapter, but the way of how it was coordinating the attack and how it was able to defend off against Yang's team, it even talked. So, uh, we now know that Grimm, there are special types of Grimm that can have the human intelligence and also communicate the same way humans do. Now that they showcase this new type of information and this special type of Grimm, I wonder how much of a large reach does Salem actually have when she's making her creatures of Grimm. And you know, there are these many theories about Salem can use her creations of Grimm she can actually bring people back from the dead, but having a grim version type of this Setso character, like pretty much the Grim Pira theory, there's been many of those that have been floating around the community. And now that we know that like her reach just keeps getting bigger as they progress more into the show, I just wonder if that's actually true or not, because now I'm not totally putting that out of the question. I hope this will not be the last time that we're going to see this Grim talk, so I would like for it to talk shit against Yang's team. It'll be pretty interesting. I think it would be so funny as well. So, but after that successful capture mission, uh, looks like Yang's team are going to be getting out of Mantle, and they're going to be going to the direction where Salem's forces are at. So, oh my, looks like they're going to be the first people to actually face off against the team in this Atlas War arc. So, I wonder who's facing who. But one thing is for certain, Oscar's gonna get tortured by the living shit out of Salem. I would be surprised if they don't meet in this volume, because, like, after that, like, oh no, there, there's no way in hell that Salem would not meet Oscar. That's all I really have to say for this chapter, chapter two. Uh, I would have to say that this was a really solid chapter, especially the fact that, again, like, the biggest highlight was the fact that Grim can have the same human level of intelligence like i don't know what are you guys' thoughts about that are there more theories that you're now crafting out of this because that we've been presented with this let me know at storm connect en on twitter i would love to hear your guys' thoughts about it and now it is time for those that have only watched chapter two and have not watched chapter three it is time for you to leave this podcast take a gander at that and then you guys can come back around the let's see 19 and 35 seconds you guys can come around that time and then you guys can finish out the rest of this episode but first Obviously, watch that chapter first, come back here, and then we'll go from there. However, if you watch chapter three, 
Keep on listening. And now chapter three. This is more about Ruby's team and they already made it back to Atlas so easy. So I want to quickly mention, like, even though, like, the tensions are high and such, like, the comedic moments, they don't feel like they're not taking the situation too lightly. It feels like the comedic moments of how they're inserting it this time in this volume feels right. For example, Penny continues to have much more characteristics of a human, and when May refers her as Robot Girl, she finishes us to, like, you know, where they need to go. And after that, she ends it off with, by the way, my name is Penny. Which, you know, she obviously was offended by that robot girl comment because she's especially more than that. So she's like, uh, call me by my name, please. Another thing that I want to mention, the last chapter, I didn't mention it as much though, but this chapter shows it especially. Blake has not been this alive since volume one, two, and early three. She's been a little bit more humorous. She's brought back her sassy old style comments. Like, wow. Normally, Blake would be more paranoid, and she usually would be in high anxiety, but it's really nice to see this side of Blake again. We appreciate the cat girl. I also love the interaction with Ruby and Blake when Blake was just like, oh, wow, she really figured out your semblance before you did, and Ruby was just like, yeah, like, remember the time that you ran away and she figured out that you were a us before we did? Like, that's crazy. Ah, <sighs> good memories. Back when the Ruby Show used to be something so simple, yet something that we all used to adore very much, and now we all cannot look at the shows the same ever again, and we're all theorizing and dying in the inside as to who's gonna die next in this volume, and so on and beyond of the future of Ruby! <laughs> I'm really thrilled. Speaking of the semblance, they finally properly explained Ruby's semblance as well. However, it only shows of how inconsistent that they are with their writing, unfortunately. Like, at first it was to burst in rose petals at an extreme velocity, which, you know, that part is true. What doesn't make sense? When she does that, she's able to break herself down into molecular components and it negates her mass, but that contradicts exactly as to what happened in the show. Like, in Volume 3, Mercury kicked the living shit out of Ruby when she used her semblance. In Volume 2, Ruby had issues carrying Penny when she was using her semblance. And even in the last volume, she was able to break through Ironwood's doors when she was fighting against the Aesops. And she could use it on people, but, like, there are instances where she just didn't, and they just- There are some people that just happened to twirl with her while bursting into rose petals? I-I-I don't know. This doesn't make any sense to me. But now that's officially established, I just hope they keep up with that consistency, because again, like, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It is what it is with the semblance and such. Like, I honestly don't care that much about it. Like, again, the most crucial part about Ruby is her silver eyes, not her semblance. But anywho. Next, we eventually see Ironwood using Watts just as we feared. So instead of killing Watts, he wants to use him. But essentially what he's actually doing is helping Salem now. This will be Ironwood's greatest mistake. And here's why. He's now fully aware that Penny is now the new Winter Maiden and he is still on to the goal of reaching the relic. And he decided that he used one of his greatest enemy's forces as an asset. Now, Let's say, because they've been hinting this so heavily throughout this show, let's say that they successfully hack Penny and they get her to join on their side, Ironwood's side, and grab the relic. Does he fail to realize of how much power he's giving to Dr. Watts? Literally, once Dr. Watts has the idea of how to control Penny, 
it will be to his greatest advantage, meaning it will be Salem's advantage, not Ironwood's advantage. Like, does this dumbass realize of the situation he is putting himself and everyone under? Like, does he even have a protection plan against that? Because I don't see how he can protect himself from that ever happening. Literally, after this, he is fucked. And because I see this happening, I am seeing some death flags attracted towards the Ironwood now. As a matter of fact, I hope he dies now. Carl, if you want to kill Ironwood, this better be your volume. This is your moment to shine in this volume for you to do so. I am tired of this dumbass already. I'm pretty sure I said this in my podcast, but I'm going to reiterate myself again. Literally, if Penny becomes the Winter Maiden and if she is on Salem's side because of Dr. Watts here, there's absolutely no point of keeping Cinder around. And nobody likes that bitch ass. Not even her allies like her. So it's just like, if Dr. Watts wanted to, she'll, she'll just be like, oh, hey, let's just take the Fall Maiden powers for Penny so she can become the Fall Maiden and the Winter Maiden. Bye. <sighs> Either way, it, this is not going to work out in his favor as he believes. He is just so ignorant and so fucking stupid. I'm, I'm tired of this. Well, like I said, it's going to be very obvious as to how this is going to be his greatest mistake. I've already elaborated my point on that. So if you have any other counter uh, points that you want to make with this, I'm actually happy to hear them out. So again, be sure to add us on Twitter for that. So moving forward, I also noticed something very interesting. It's not like anything significant, but... There was an animation error glitch, I believe. I'm going to post the image of that onto the episode description. I noticed that when Ruby's team, they were moving along with May Semblance, I noticed that at a certain point, it looks like a regular stand-up model of Blake, Volume 7 Blake. I don't know what's happening there. Like, literally, I noticed this when the guy, uh, one of the Atlas team workers, they were making their exit from the door, and I noticed that, like, as they were moving along, like, Blake is just there. Like, how do you not see Blake there? I just thought this was a funny mention of this. I just could not ignore it when I saw that. <laughs> but it'll be fixed on the Blu-ray, but anywho. Another thing that I find also odd, because that pretty much everyone in the Kingdom of Atlas knows that Salem is here, and there's, like, a grim apocalypse right outside. I'm just surprised that no one is even in the slightest of high anxiety or shown to be extremely busy. I may be overthinking this when I say this, but there is a grim apocalypse right at their doorstep and they're not even scared or rushing to do more work just to get the situation controlled? I don't know. I just thought that that was just strange personally to me. Like again, for comedic purposes, like it was, it worked out well, but again, it was just so strange for the area of the Atlas military base for not having some type of tension, you know? But again, I may be overthinking this. I may be overanalyzing the situation. I just thought that like, it was strange. It just felt like, oh, here's another day at work, guys. Like, nothing's happening. Totally not anything. Nothing at all. Nothing to the point where everyone could literally die. Nope. We're good. But I guess we gotta make room for Ruby doing her famous Sailor Moon pose after using her semblance on the team. That was kind of cute, though. Not gonna lie. Living on the legend, I see. They finally reach to the terminal, and it seems that Pietro has some control over Penny from all the way from Amity, which it could come in handy for the future of the volume, you know? I just really hope that it just works against the favor of Ironwood slash Watts here. But if Dr. Watts has the same type of control that Pietro has right now, <sighs> god fucking damn it. So while Pietro is doing the work, we actually get a very interesting scene, which again, this is the character I wanted to bring back up for this. Nora. 
She is showing that she is having an existential crisis due to the reason that she has no idea who she is without Ren. She is right though, like literally without Ren, she's only known for her strength, but I like the trait of how passionate she can be about thinking about the bigger picture, and again, she's fucking hilarious as shit. I sincerely hope that she can find more of herself that speaks Nora. I really feel so bad for her because I actually enjoy her. I think she's probably like my favorite right now among with Team Juniper. Remember when I said that Ren was bothering me for the past couple volumes, the last one and this one, and I want to bring him back up again? Well, here we are. Let's talk about him again, but this time with Nora. Don't misunderstand me when I say this. I sincerely do not like the direction they're taking with Ren, and especially of what happened the last volume between with Ren and Nora. It just... It felt so unsettling, especially for the events of Volume 4 and 5. But because of how consistent this is in this volume, we might as well just keep continuing with this ride and see where this is gonna go. I just think it's unnecessary. However, what I think the only good thing that I see coming out of this is the fact that Nora is having her own character development, finding out of who she is without Ren. As to how they'll come back to each other, I don't know. I don't know if it's even going to happen. However, I will say due to their separation, this is a good thing. What's not a good thing as to how it's being handled. As a matter of fact, if this is the part of the story that they wanted to write in for so long, this should have happened in volume 4 slash 5, maybe 6 in my opinion. Because it's like they already had their character development. Like, I'm not saying like completely put that to a halt, but like why put this huge tension within them now just for them to grow separately? If you were to do that, like I said, this should have happened in the previous volume, so then they can grow without each other and then grow together as the volume progresses on. It just feels so unnecessary. However, for what it's worth, in some sense, it is working. It's just that I wish that this could have been executed much more differently and better. And you know what? I'm kind of on Team Nora right now because, like, I don't even know what the fuck is up with Red. I can't even tell what's on his mind. Like, I get everybody's all fucked up and shit, though, but what the fuck is up with you? You, my great old fucking huntsman, you better start talking because this makes absolutely no sense as to why you're acting the way that you are. It's so different among with everybody else. As a matter of a fact, I actually expected Blake to act like Ren as how he is right now, especially from her track record from the earlier volumes. I mean, and again, this shows of how much she developed and Ren, he just... He, I felt like he regressed in some way. I don't know. I just don't like this rent I'm seeing right now. And if you guys are not aware, I am a huge hater of Jean, but holy crap, Ren is being much more annoying than Jean right now. Like, Jean has been pretty tolerable since the last volume, and this volume, I just... What the fuck, man? What is this timeline? I spoke to a few people before going into this podcast, and some people believe that one of the team members of... Juniper is going to die. I see why you say that. But because of how we are in the story, I kind of doubt any of them are going to die in this volume. I hate to say this though, but the only person that I could potentially see dying if there were to be a death in volume 8, a very major death, it'd probably have to be Nora, and I hope that does not happen. Because of this random character writing that I'm seeing with Ren, they're not going to cut him off just yet. Jean, he's still... <sighs> He still has more things to do, apparently, and especially for living for Pyrrha, so I think he has some type of strong plot armor at the moment. So right now, the only one who doesn't have much going on is Nora at the moment, and I'm kind of scared. Especially for what happened in this chapter, I'm a little bit alarmed. That's all I really have to say about the whole situation, with mostly with Ren and Nora, so I'm gonna proceed on forward as to uh, what happened in this chapter. 
Pietro was wanting to have Penny be at Amity, which is a very good point, because I also have to agree with him. Like, I believe that if she is with Pietro and Maria at Amity Tower, she will be out of Salem's reach to potentially grab the relic, even though Penny wishes to assist with the evacuation. And I feel so bad for her, but you know what? I think Team Ruby and everybody else that's down in Mantle, I think they got it. Plus, they do need some type of protection from the Atlas military in case of anything, so... Now, finally, this part. This is part of the chapter that I've waited to talk about here in this podcast episode. And I have a feeling there might be some type of debate with me after this, but you know what? I said what I said out loud with my chest out there. The Aesop's ambushes Ruby's team. Here they are. They're trying to use words to convince Penny to go back to their side also drawing their weapons for another fight with them, like, even though they lost. I don't know why they're trying it again, but... And they have the Winter Maiden, but... Oh, man, I guess some people don't learn their lesson the first time, but... We have this stupid motherfucker that were like, Oh, we were holding back, bitch. I don't think you're supposed to hold back against Team Ruby, especially the fact that, like, we're at the state of urgency right now. Come on, Mero, stop being stupid as fuck. Oh, my God. So they're trying to gaslight Penny by blaming her that Winter is in critical condition, stole her planned maiden powers, and the potential destined fate of Atlas. Like, are y'all out of your mind? Are you guys as stupid as Ironwood? Like, do you did you guys not see the video clips? Because I saw Watts playing the video clips when she was fighting against Cinder. Did y'all not see what the fuck happened? Are y'all that fucking stupid? Like, Vine is literally, like, the only voice of reason, even though I was not happy of what he said after that, though. But it's like, it sounds like you guys know exactly what happened in that fight. So what the fuck are you guys doing, like, twisting the situation as if it's her fault? Shut the fuck up. But what's even more unbelievable to me is the fact that Harriet believes that Penny will be responsible for Atlas and Mantle to die if she does not cooperate with them. Like... Uh, uh, did, did you forget of uh, what happened in Volume 7? Like, you guys are abandoning Mantle to die, and y'all don't give a flying fuck about that. Oh. <sighs> this is making me angry. Oh my god, I hate them. I hate them so much. Like, what the fuck do you mean, Atlas and Mantle to die? Y'all are fucking, like, you guys are fucking dying one by one slowly. Y'all care about Mantle now? You guys are meaning to tell me that after for whatever the fuck happened in Volume 7. You guys care about Mantle all of a sudden? No, the fuck you don't. No, shut the fuck up. I want you all to shut the fuck up. Oh my. Oh, God. I know what some of you guys are thinking that you guys probably want to stop this episode as I'm talking about this, but no, I'm not done here. No, 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 no. I'm not done here. We're going to talk more about this because this is a fucking problem, okay? They truly believe Ironwood's way of saving Atlas, saving in quotations, is the right way, even though he is working with Dr. Watts. That could give him the back door to escape and could work in Sailor's favor even more. Oh my god, why are these motherfuckers not thinking? So, you mean to tell me that you all plan to convince her and then y'all were gonna fight her anyways and, like, you, we have Harriet's bitch ass over here talking the most shit because she loves to talk shit all the fucking time and sometimes, um, Elm too. We have the fucking shit talker over here going like, oh yeah, what are you gonna do about a tin can? Ooh, oh, oh, bitch. And so you have chosen death. And you know what, bitch? Because you and the rest of the fucking Aesops deserve to be in the same fate as your stupid motherfucking dumbass leader over there. Guess what? Y'all forget about what happened to your leader? Yeah, he died. And I hope you all suffer the same fate. 
ass hit. If not, probably worse. And I was hoping that Penny would incinerate the shit out of you in that chapter. That didn't fucking happen. But you know what? It's okay. Expect it to. I don't care who fucking does it at this point. Cinder, Salem, somebody. I don't care. These fucking empty head motherfucking machines of Ironwood's favorite pets. Those fucking pet dogs. Oh, get, get them out of my screen. No, I'm tired of this shit talk. I'm tired of their stupid gaslighting tactics. Fuck them. Fuck Marrow, fuck Vine, fuck Elm, and fuck Harriet. I was already a little bit happy that Clover died. You know what? Join him. Just join him. It's okay. Like, literally, I I'm not complaining. It's okay. You all deserve that because, you know... Okay, so I've been talking about the ASOFs with my friends for a while, and I've expressed clearly to them that I dislike the ASOFs from the very start. I don't know what it was about them, but I just could not, like actually like them except for vine vine in this chapter i lost all respect for him elm was just fucking annoying so i didn't give a shit about her harriet just likes to talk shit and i just want her to fucking shut the fuck up man and just and marrow marrow was really annoying he was just so fucking annoying i don't know what it is about him but i just don't like him but after this chapter some people are telling me that marrow might have some redeeming qualities because it seems that he's not fucking around with what they're doing. It's just the fact that, like, he's not, like, really showing it or being vocal about it, though. And I'm just like, well, that's fucking bullshit because he was also with them, like, you know, gaslighting Penny. Like, oh, yeah, if you do this, you'll save Alice. Like, you didn't have to partake into that, dude. Shut up. I, I'm just saying this right now. I get that he's following orders, but he didn't have to do all that. All he had to do is just follow the order as to whatever there was that he was given by Ironwood. He didn't have to talk like that. He didn't have to do that. He had his choice. And guess what? He made his choice as to being an empty-headed motherfucking Ironwood's pet dog. So you know what? I hope he suffered the same fate as everybody else. Vine, I had some hope for him. I actually had little hope for him. But like I said, I lost all the respect for him. I like, they didn't have to do all that, but they chose to do it. So fuck them. I hope they fucking die. And a terrible death, preferably. But if, as long as they somehow die, I don't care what happens next. Because I'm tired of them. I'm so fucking tired of them. Salem, get them. <sighs> and I can't believe I'm saying this. But I, I mentioned this earlier, the fact that I like I don't care who does it. Like, again, if Cinder does it, that's even wonderful. And I don't like Cinder, even as an antagonist, especially... Like, I still have not forgotten what she did to fucking uh, Pyrrha. I still have not forgotten about that, though. But you know what? This will be a redeeming quality if Cinder just kills them. That's okay. I will not be complaining. I'm just saying. Like, I, I know there might be some people that like the ASOS, but... <laughs> no, you will not disrespect the Winter Maiden like that. You will not disrespect... Um, you will not disrespect Penny like that. No, not in this household. Not in this podcast. Not here in this household. <laughs> so in conclusion of what I'm trying to say here, even though I emphasize this many times, fuck the Aesops. Now, as I mentioned earlier, the fight did not exactly go out as the way I hope it would. But I mean, in some way, it still kind of worked out. So again, allow me to elaborate a little bit more about that. The Aesops were able to trap the team, except for Penny. And obviously, this was a way to show of what Penny is now capable of now that she's the Winter Maiden. So because she just became the Winter Maiden, I'm just keeping this in mind. Like, you know, she's a freshborn out of this now. As for what we know in the show, the Maidens are fucking powerful as hell. They're scary. They're actually terrifying. As for the newborn Winter Maiden, Penny did actually not do so bad in that fight. Obviously, like, we've seen better. It's just probably she needs more time to actually have control over her power and, like, realize of the capability that she can perform. 
But the way of how she fought with the Aesops, it just... It looks so elegant. I actually loved her new style of fighting. Like, there were many great shots that she had. I, like, took a lot of pictures of it. I'm like, oh, my God. This is this is literally screenshot worthy. I love it. They did a really good job for this fight. Even though, in my opinion, like, again, like, when someone is a maiden, like, it's kind of over. Like, <laughs> you really tried it. But, I mean, again, it's not exactly impossible for a team to go up against a maiden. We've seen that in the past before. But, I mean... <laughs> Given to how strong Penny actually is, dog, dog, it should have ended a little bit sooner, especially to how scary it is, though. But hey, I mean, some people like to try sometimes, I guess, like I mentioned earlier. But who knows? Maybe they'll have a random round two, and guess what? They'll be even more fucked up when the next time they fight again. I hope they keep at it with her fighting style, because I love this new look on her. There's many people that say that, like, this could have ended with Mero abusing his semblance, but the thing is the fact that it seems that there is a strong limitation to it, because it looks like it could drain his aura pretty fast, and he can't hold it out for that long, it seems. And the thing about it is the fact that, like, I, I don't know why Penny did not think of this. I don't know if this is, like, possible or not, though, but, like, she is the Winter Manish. Like, she literally could just get a lightning bolt out of nowhere to stop with Mero, you know? I don't know why she didn't do that, though, because we've seen, like... The maidens use their powers without, like, moving a fucking inch. Like, we kind of saw an example of that in Volume 7. Like, Mero used his semblance on Weiss, but guess what? Like, he can only do at one person at a time or at, like, one area. So, he was able to stop Weiss, but he was not able to stop her summoning. But, I mean, eventually this, the fight kind of just stops because, like, Nora, she overcharges herself to the point where she was able to break through the door. But... Again, like I said, I'm seeing some death flags for Nora because even when she wakes up, I truly hope that she isn't out of commission because what she just did, that could actually paralyze her or like fuck up her system really badly for the rest of her life. Like, it doesn't matter if it's her semblance or whatever. Like, I mean, look, we just saw that it broke her semblance. Like, fucking hell, like that was too much. But hey, shout out to the fucking Super Saiyan. Like, she did what she needed to do. And I, again, like, we stand Nora here. After that, they did manage to escape anyways, but here's the problem. So, there was a change of order already. Harriet stole Penny's weapon, which, again, what we've been talking about with Dr. Watts here, I don't think I need to say the rest. At this point, it is highly likely that Ruby will be facing a new Penny next time if you kind of catch my drift. At this point, if Crow and Robin bust out of jail on time, we're going to have a recreation of Volume 7 again. Specifically, when the fight transpired with Clover, Robin, Crow, and Tyrion. And again, with so much like high tension among with the characters, this is the reason why I titled this episode Picking Them Off One by One. Nora is knocked out and, you know, again, we don't even know if she'll be fine when she wakes up. Oscar got kidnapped, and, you know, there might be some deflex towards to him. Penny is in grave danger right now, possibly in grave danger, and there are other characters that are attracting so many death flags, it's hard to tell who is next to die. But it's going to be a lot of people, for sure. I don't think we're just going to have one or two deaths. We might have a lot more than that. Like, if we if we just not include of how many people from Mantle and Alice that are going to die, I feel like big characters that are like highly known in this show are definitely going to die i could be wrong but it's definitely not just gonna be one or two i feel like there's gonna be more than that i'll be surprised if we're just left with one or two deaths 
that's all I really have to say for chapter three. There is a lot of thoughts that are spurring into our thoughts right now, and I'm really curious as to what you all have to say about that. But before I end off this podcast episode, uh, they did release some information of chapter four, which is going to preview in the next couple days. So chapter four, the title is Fault, and the description states that Jean, Ren, and Yang's pursuit of a mysterious new grim result in an unexpected complication. Ruby, Weiss, and Blake find a new place to, to lay low. Cinder receives an ultimatum. The runtime is 19 minutes and 13 seconds, which is longer than the rest of the episodes of Volume 8 so far. What this is looking like right here, they seem to be very consistent of having their episode lengths. Like, they've been mostly 17 to 18 minutes. This is a minute longer, but I mean, th they're at that, like, right mark of that. And I hope they keep that up. And like I said, like, the only exception to have the longest chapter would be the final chapter of the volume, of course. So far for their runtimes, they're doing a very good job of the story and how it's developing so far. So far, volume 8 is actually not that bad. Despite of its flaws, it usually has, like, it's, it's not boring. Like, they're actually, like, keeping us, like, something to think about for the next chapter and so on forward. That's all I really have to say about this, so... I guess we'll have to see the next chapter and see what happens next. And that's all going to be for the podcast episode. If you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave out a five-star rating if you enjoyed the podcast. Hit up the StormConnect Twitter at StormConnectEN or other platforms this podcast is on for feedback on the show. We have merchandise available sponsored by King Styles Apparel, so be sure to check out the stylish t-shirts, hoodies, and more that myself and Shmerv were able to develop for you all. And... Truly, I hope you all are having a wonderful Thanksgiving and hope that you guys have a safe and wonderful holidays. Be safe out there. Be healthy. Stuff like that. <sighs> We're hoping that things are going to settle down really soon, which, you know, it's going to take a little bit more time. But again, we're all here for you guys. So thank you all so much for tuning out to this podcast episode. This is Edo Ninja. Thank you for your time to listen to this podcast episode. Stay safe, healthy, and for heaven's sake, stay smart. I'll see you guys on the next podcast. See ya. Oh, my apologies, everyone. I forgot to mention one more crucial thing to mention in this podcast episode. Fuck the Aesops. That's all I had to say. Thank you once again. I'll see you on the next podcast episode. Bye.